Nostrum, the high school debates soap opera, where deontology is more than just an idea, it's a rebuttal, by Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostromite, narrated by Jim Menick, Series 3, The Combat of Conquerors, Episode 6, I Guess the Sun is Over the Yardarm. Ditsier Bilge Font is not a large person. On the contrary, he is an unusually small person. On a good day, he will claim that he is four feet four inches tall, but he's never actually chalked that high when there's been a measuring tool nearby. 310, more likely. In a word, he is achondroplastic. It could have been the defining characteristic of his existence, but he has not allowed that to happen. On the rare occasions he discusses it, he simply says, in the dullest way possible, that it is what it is, and he lets it go at that. Nevertheless, he is hard-pressed to manipulate the person of Tab Ularasa, who is a tad under six feet tall, and an obvious consumer of one too many extra portions of the mashed potatoes over the last few years. Not to mention one too many rounds at the up-up-and-away bar at the Codswallop Pseudo-International Airport. Ditsier texts Dirth Hannon. Ularasa is drunk as a skunk. I think I can get him into the car, but it's going to take a while. Dirth texts back. We really need a drunk tab director this weekend, FML. Ditsier replies, F both our L's. He clicks off his phone. Come on, Mr. Ularasa, Ditsier says. He is sitting next to him on a bar stool and trying to shake him into a higher level of consciousness. We have to get to the hotel. Ularasa half opens an eye and for the first time regards the little man. Who the hell are you? He manages to slur out. I'm Ditsier with the tournament. I'm here to take you to the hotel. Oh, right. The hotel. He looks Ditsier up and down. He begins to say something and then thinks better of it. Ditsier, aware that his appearance can take people by surprise and often elicit unfortunate responses, takes this as a sign of incipient sobriety on Ularasa's part. Can you stand up? he asks. Ularasa looks down at his own lap, then up to the ceiling. He thinks for a moment, and then attempts to slide off his bar stool in Ditsier's direction. He is not quite ready for anything quite that athletic, however, and as he is about to tumble to the floor, Ditsier manages to catch him and prop him up against the bar, holding the bigger man firmly to keep him marginally upright. One false move and the two of us will both be on the ground, Ditsier tells him. You need some help there, mate? The bartender asks, seeing the impending tragicomedy and coming over to them. I wouldn't mind if you could get us started in the right direction, Ditsier responds. Inbound or outbound? Inbound. My car is right across the street in the first lot. The bartender looks up and down the bar. There are only a couple of customers, and they seem to be well settled at the moment. Let's go, he says. Between them, they manage to get Ularasa pointed in the right direction. Ditsier grabs the carry-on bag that was at the man's feet at the bar. Ularasa is able to shuffle a bit and generally move himself slowly, if not gracefully. By the time they reach the entrance to the bar, he seems to have a decent enough head of steam that the bartender can let go. The man watches as Ditsier and Ularasa keep moving toward the terminal exit. You seem to be okay now, he says. Ditsier looks over his shoulder. We're great, thanks. No problem. Good luck, mate.
bartender returns to his post as Ditsier and Ularasa keep moving slowly in the right direction. It isn't until the young woman hustles past them, pulling a wheeled metal bag that is almost as big as Ditsier, that things go downhill. She barely nips Ularasa's right foot, and as he turns, he looks at her aghast. Is that your luggage, young lady, or are you planning to new codswallop with the latest fashion and carry-on suitcase bombs? Ditsier is surprised that Ularasa is capable of such a literate sentence, but less surprised when the woman pulls away almost at a run, causing Ularasa to turn around quickly to see Ditsier a few feet behind him, pulling Ularasa's own small wheeled bag. And Ditsier is not at all surprised when Ularasa lurches at him, crying, Unhand my suitcase, you villain! A second later, Ularasa is sprawled on top of his suitcase, as if he has fallen on his back from up in the balcony. They are beginning to draw the attention of all those around them as Ditsier discovers that he is still able to wheel the suitcase along even with Ularasa half-dead on top of it. It is what it is, he mutters to himself as he wheels the semi-conscious COC LD tab director through the terminal and out into the parking lot. When they reach the car, somehow Ularasa is able to regain enough self-possession to climb off the suitcase and into the back seat, where he proceeds to lie crosswise and begins snoring before Ditsier even has a chance to get into the driver's seat. Thank God we are in the handicapped parking, he says over his shoulder as he starts the engine. Otherwise, we never would have gotten here. There is no reply other than a few disjointed snorts from the back seat. Dirth Hannon reads the text from Ditsier. He has managed to get Ularasa into his car and is heading toward the hotel. It is unlikely that the short drive will provide enough time for the COC's LD tab director to wake up, much less sober up. She clicks off her phone. Everyone knows that tabbing is a job for the bibulous at best and dipsomaniacs at worst. Why should Ularasa be any different? The smell of manure is strong as Hannon heads for the debate office. It is that time of year when the Cod's Wallop groundskeepers decide to lay down the first batch of the freshest, warmest, richest nutrients on the planet, fresh from the horse farms that dominate the local map. While there are those who maintain that horse manure is, because of the speed in which it passes through the host, not much different from just laying out hay and oats in the first place, those people do not live in Kentucky, at least not for long. At Codswallop, the manure is used primarily as mulch for the trees and shrubs, which means that at the base of virtually every plant on the Sucky campus, there is today a new, rich brown cover, and it smells exactly like what it is. It is one of the distinct characteristics of the COC, the smell of horse manure. Always has been, always will be. The sun is high and bright, and the forecast is for a beautiful weekend. Normally, this would mean that people would already be arriving, but the domino effect of plane delays has postponed the mass arrival until God knows when. Registration is going to go on into all hours of the night. Hannah can feel it in her bones. The debate office comprises the entire top floor of the Horace Pecan Building. The original HEHP may have been a generous donor to the college, but at the same time he did make sure that his own selfish interests would be served. HEHP Sr. had not reserved the floor for debate, however. 
It was his son, H.E.H.P. Jr., who renovated the place. It had originally been devoted to his father's avocation, co-educational Greco-Roman wrestling, which enjoyed a vogue for a while after World War II until the unwanted pregnancy rate caused more than a few jaundiced eyes to look at the sport and to see more than just American youth seeking healthy physical competitive recreation. As a matter of fact, way too often the whole competitive aspect was replaced by strategies and tactics that were much more on the cooperative rather than competitive side, hence the unfortunate resulting Cosmolopian baby boom. It was easy enough to turn over the site into classrooms suitable for two-person debate teams to face other two-person debate teams in front of various adjudicators, with the proceedings seldom, if ever, metamorphosing into a free love session, as had been the case with the co-ed wrestlers. The lack of physical contact worked in debates a favor, reproduction-wise. The university was placated, and debate went on to become an important, albeit chaste, part of the school's extracurricular offerings. One of the classrooms in HPB is nicknamed the War Room. This is where the team congregates before tournaments to work on their final prep, or to hang out among their closest peers in lieu of rubbing elbows with the riff and the raff of the non-debate persuasion at the student union, or to escape when they come to that point of, if they see their roommate one more time on this planet, they will simply have to take up assassination and to hell with the consequences. When dearth arrives, there are about a dozen people scattered about. A couple are talking to one another, the rest are focused on their phones or their laptops. Hey coach, someone says as she enters the room. Everyone stops what they are doing. Happy D-Day, another student calls out. Dearth smiles. The only thing happy about today is that four days from now it will be a distant memory. She goes to the desk at the front of the room and leans on the edge facing the team. We've got our first arrival, she says. Ditsier has picked up Ularasa at the airport. Drunk as the proverbial skunk, Ditsier says. It's not even one o'clock yet, someone points out. Ularasa is a professional. He doesn't let the clock get in the way of his drinking. Any updates on the flight status situation? There's a bit of keyboard clicking. Most people seem to be heading for the gates. They're all running a couple of hours behind, but flights are finally getting into the air. The whining on Facebook is down to a level four. Dearth nods. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing for the weekend, right? The building teams are all ready. Who's on registration, Dearth asks. A couple of students raise a finger and nod. Okay, we'll drive over to the hotel after we're finished here. Concessions? We can get into the courtesy suite at the hotel anytime after three. Everything else is set up for tomorrow through the university people. Liquor? On it. And the ice and glasses and obscenely salty snacks. Water. A couple of cases in with the hooch. Put at least one of them at the registration area. Anything else? Each of the dozen students is wearing a blue sucky debate t-shirt. They look around at one another. No one indicates any outstanding issues. Who's selling t-shirts, by the way? A blonde girl speaks up. That would be me. How many do you have? A couple of hundred. What are you charging? Twenty bucks. Hannah thinks for a second. Twenty bucks on Saturday. Fifteen bucks on Sunday. Ten bucks on Monday. The blonde girl nods. Okay, Hannah says. Anyone coming with me to the hotel, let's go. The rest of you, keep your phones charged. With that, she steps off from her desk. Three of her team follow her out the door. It is D-Day, zero hour. Registration for the Combat of Conquerors is about to begin.
Did you look up achondroplastic, or are you just assuming that you know what it means? Will Tab Ularasa sober up in time for registration? Is Ularasa simply one of a vast army of intoxicated Tab staff at your average high school debate tournament? Wouldn't you rather be involved in co-educational Greco-Roman wrestling than this whole debate business? How much are those t-shirts going to be worth a week from now? We hardly expect to learn any of these things in our next episode, Stuffed Animals Go Wild, or When Plush Comes to Shove.